<laughs> so yeah, what, what what's the the main? We had a couple of topics uh, top of mind. I think should we start off with the AI uh, regulation that the executive order from uh, El Presidente Biden. Oh my God, that's um that was some interesting news to wake up to. Has everyone read it? No, tell me more. Go go check it out. He's signed an executive order, which is interest an interesting way to sort of pass pass laws, I guess. I don't, I don't even know how this American system works anymore. You can't pass it through Congress because, you know, you can't agree on anything. So the president uses the executive order mechanism from the Korean War to pass this new thing that says that uh, all AI is regulated in this uh, in this way. And it's basically an even bigger and bolder version of what the UK passed a little while ago to try and do many things. So things like um, try and get companies to you know, if you're working on in a big ai model you have to get the government to basically approve it before you can do anything you have to submit results to them you have to give them sort of red team access and all sorts of stuff to get them to approve anything before you're allowed to put it out there you, they've got to come up with ways of detecting ai generated content and separating that from human generated content good luck um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you've got the, there's all sorts of interesting stuff. You should, should all go read it. Uh, what possibly go wrong? It, it is literally the biggest recipe for disaster and um, you know and killing the the innovative landscape of AI right now. It's I I can't believe they did that. What even is AI? Like, how do you? I, if you went to a court of law and then you said AI, like how? What, I, that's, that's what undefined. I undefined. So it's, it's just this it's this bogey bogeyman it's like what how do you even define it let me let me check up gpt tell me what ai is yeah, that's it is it one of those things like is it one of those things like pornography you know when you see it <laughs> no but it's also <laughs> it's, it's crap what what is ai it's just crap it's just a marketing term i guess now if i create a little game you know and i have some, some npc characters talking you know and then I don't report to the government that I'm what technology I'm using. I could uh, get arrested or something like that. Mm. Uh, I, That's interesting. Is this just going to mean that there's a bunch of things that aren't available in America? Yeah, you uh, might have to go to Europe to get your latest tech. You know, imagine that. You know, <laughs> that's not going to yeah. happen. Europe's even even worse. It might drive a lot of innovation outside the country. It might push it out. That's possible. Mm. Um, what it it's just screams of is regulatory capture. It's, you know, it allows the big businesses who have lots of money and resources to go and play and everyone else can't play. Uh, you, so you're saying like open AI, because they're sort of been pushing for oh, yeah. this sort of thing. Sam, this. this is great for him. Yeah, so he's been he's been going to Congress and stuff and saying like, oh, careful, you know, oh, this is going to be really scary. But got to get the adults in charge. Yeah, have you seen that Terminator movie? Did you see how bad it could uh, be? Yeah, I did see a talk recently where someone was going through all the different industries where regulation has been brought in, and how the big players in that industry just mm. made loads more profit, and everyone else just lost. That's that's yeah. literally the recipe. That is the definition. Yeah. There's a great talk. Um, <clears throat> Oh, we'll have to post it that I was listening to a little while ago about regulatory capture and how it's done. But every in every instance, that's exactly what it's done. The government introduces regulation to try and help the little guy or help innovation or help business. And what it does is directly drive the growth and profit of big business who sponsored yeah. it and yeah. pushes for it. Raises it raises that barrier to entry. 
right, that you actually need deep pockets to start just even on the initial um, setup, right? So your investment has to be large to begin with, right? So yeah. or you've got to be an established player because if you're just going to be some person with a great idea and a couple of your mates trying to get something going, you can't because you get squashed by that weight of regulatory um, nonsense that you have to try and navigate. So it always... But, but here's the thing, I, you know, we, we are talking to a room of uh, very experienced software engineers. You know, everyone in this room has been doing this for 10, if not 20 years plus. And we've all done everything AI. We all know how all this shit works and we use it in our day to day. And uh, I've had many conversations, Pat's a little bit more or less. <laughs> um, we, we know this stuff and no one here is scared that the AI machine is going to take over their world or do anything horrible. Um, I am actually, there is there is actually some nuance because I've been having these conversations with my family. There's like the media's really made a scare campaign about AI and then just like anything, like I saw a headline the other day of like how some system and it had like AI, like I can't remember, like made, you know, someone went to jail because of AI when it was probably just some, you yeah. know, bad process. And so the thing I'm scared of is bureaucracy. I'm not really scared of an AI model. It's more the institutions applying mm. it without any thought without any care without any yeah. checks that's when i'm and that exists today so that 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 already that's already that already probably, exists and that already, that already exists, exists with software right yeah, yeah exactly well, I, had, I had a proposal where they were saying we should put watermarks on things to say this content was generated by ai Right, and you're going like because you don't want AI giving you medical advice. And you go, well, if you're reading medical advice from some website, right, you you need to know the trustworthiness of that website, no matter where that data came from. Exactly. Right? Did that come from a doctor anyway, or is it some you know homeopath or what? Right, you don't you don't know. <laughs> so you have to have you have already there are already mechanisms by which you gain trust in the, in in a source of truth anyway, and those still apply. I'd still these are, yeah, exactly. These are all highlighting problems that exist in society today. Where yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. like yes, and so those those things. Maybe you should talk about regulation or like extra ways to um, deal with that. But I don't think AI is necessarily the source that needs regulating. You raised a really good point right at the start, Pat. What exactly is it? Where do you draw? Yeah. The, what yeah. what piece of code defines it, or otherwise? Is it? Yeah, because a lot of this stuff runs on GPUs, right? So. Okay, is matrix multiplication of a you know a bunch of floating point numbers is that AI? Okay, what about a shader? If I'm if I'm generating a texture dynamically, is that AI? Or it's doing the same, kind of doing the same thing, right? So like, how do I? It's just it's just a brand name, and so sure you can say that the machine learning stuff is innovative, and you might be able to classify it in some way, but I just I mean for one, I don't think they model how our brains work anyway. And two, I just I just think it's just arbitrary. It's just silly. It's just they're just computations, yeah. and because you can do it fast, well, it doesn't mean it's like so. It gives you new applications, yeah. but you can you can do all the same stuff on a CPU. Yeah. So it's just faster. But that hmm. it being faster unlocks stuff. So how? Sorry, uh, like I wanted to clarify, like uh, the, this government reg regulation. So uh, I mean, you were saying that it's kind of like squashed uh, startup innovations. So let's say like uh, the startup, like they just wanted to uh, work in the domain of AI. So now if they just do the work and then they don't report to the government, is the government gonna look at the work and say, okay, this person is working on AI and then they didn't like- uh, Who knows? I think everyone should go read, read, read that. 
themselves or try and figure it out. I, yeah. I tried to read it this morning and I couldn't figure it out. I'm just going to get uh, ChatGPT to summarize it for me. Yeah. The, the excerpt that I saw is arrested um, for that, or like they get fined, or like just because they work on AI and they didn't mention that. I think it's the beginning of a process of legal battles and challenges, and who knows where it will end. The excerpt I saw uh, put a limit. So if you're at a certain capacity of how much computation you're doing, uh, you you need to report it to the government. You need to sort of put your hand up and say, hey, we're, this is what we're doing. So they're putting, they're sort of at some certain scale, you have to volunteer that you're, that, that you're doing this thing, like you're, um, I don't know, if you're mass producing chemicals so or something like that. Yeah, we can try and find uh, it. It's fascinating. Yeah. You won't, you won't get you won't get details. You won't it, it won't be well thought out. I mean, like in, in Victoria here in Australia, right? We can't even get a recycling scheme for glass bottles working, right? Let alone trying to um, regulate something as complicated <laughs> as AI, as something as fast moving. And history has shown that it doesn't work, right? Like the, the cryptographic sort of um, export controls on the US did not work, right? And they did not work for a reason because the the technology itself was too important to actually be stifled by someone saying you can't do it it doesn't work that way it's not gonna it's not gonna last it's just yeah. short term and um it does not matter other countries won't um have those same concepts and they'll just go ahead and then once they get ahead others will reassess and go oh well we can't be left behind and it will it'll change so it'll evolve mm. Next next subject, let's move on. I, I, this is all too depressing. I don't want to talk about yeah. regulation. <laughs> but okay, well, the, I thought there, there was some... Uh, Next.js had their conference. So Vercel used to have a conference, and they're the main sponsor of Next.js, and they've been very smart. They used to have a Vercel conference, and so they'll talk about Vercel stuff, and then they'll have Next.js stuff within that. Now they have a Next.js conference, and so the, the headline is Next.js stuff, and then they talk about Vercel stuff inside that. So it's, a, it's a quite a smart strategy. But anyway, the, it? is Vercel sponsoring it? Is it theirs? Yeah, they're hosting the conference. Yeah, they yeah, they the conference. Yeah. yeah. So um, they had I I don't maybe some of you have seen this, but I'll put in our little channel this uh, tweet. So this thing sort of went viral. Um, so yeah, just wondering what your reactions to that were because people were a little bit surprised by it so looking at a picture so we're looking at a it's a function bookmark it accepts a slug it renders a button that button has a form action prop on it and then the form action prop is in a sync called like a sync arrow function that says use server and then runs a sql command and so people were losing their minds a little bit over this um over this so yeah, the, how, does the, it, the, how does it work? The they, they liked it. Uh, people liked it. Some people liked it. A lot of people didn't like it. Yeah. So how does it work, Patrick? So when it generates, what goes client side, what stays server side? Good question. That was really confusing. I don't think they explain it that well. So apparently, from what I've read, is this whole thing's basically server generated. So the template, the HTMLs, this whole, all the code here is, uh, is running on the server. So that that was confusing. That confused people. Um, People thought there was SQL injection happening there because you can see it's like punching in the slug, um, and then and then there was a the thing that I that really sort of made me concerned was um, this just a, a, like what's the the right buzzword like having some sort of repository layer like you probably don't want your view to be talking directly to the database 
because it's just going to be massive spaghetti. So this, people this can... is just, you know what this is doing. This is bringing up problems that have been solved in other domains 20 years ago, and it's just making them worse. You're, you're you, instead of having, having separate concerns between the client and the server, you're mixing the two. And this is where you end up opening these cans of worms around the server rendering something different to the client because you're trying to render on the server and the client. And you just, you're not drawing a clear boundary between the two, so you don't know where the code is executing. In fact, it could be executing anywhere. Yeah. And and I think people consider that a feature, not not a yeah. not some, that's a yeah, bug. It's really, that's a bug. It's a real problem. It's gonna be really hard to debug you like uh don't know where this code's running and then it makes you know, the complexity insane. Absolutely yeah. insane. Too much so, magic. Sorry, but I actually don't think it's a big deal, really. Oh, good. No, <laughs> good. I, I think it's actually a good thing that you, you know, one thing that was bothering me uh, in the past, you know, sometimes I was working on the server, and, uh, you know, the fact that I have to jump between server and client all the time, like, at some point, I really wish, like, oh, I, I just want to write everything on one side, you know, and then not have to bother, like, uh, writing two sets of code, like the server side client and the the server side and client side just write everything yeah, no. in one place i agree i agree with that because i used to do desktop apps and with desktop apps if the thing's saving to the file system it's all it's a monolith and there's no server you just everything's just in one place and you use mbc to like um you know have some structure in the code but i actually do I do think there's a need there where we do we've created this distributed system where we've got this client running in the browser and we've got the server and then like there's a network in between and so mm -hmm. i i think what people are doing is creating all these like um they create like restful apis or like a rpc so it's like oh i'm like making a call to yeah. the server but i think that's actually a big anti-pattern so this is like making that pattern more easier it's like taking out away the boilerplate but i fundamentally think there's a bit of a problem with an rpc style um approach to this i mean it's obviously successful in a lot, a lot of companies but yeah this is this is just disgusting it, it's making me want to buy i just i just spent hours yesterday dealing with next trying to render something on the client and on the server from the same chunk of code and it was different because some one of the conditions was a little bit different and it's just impossible right and yeah it, i think i think technologies like this frequently make demoware much easier like mm. you can you can much more quickly just psych something out and go actually i want that to run on the server just notify it now it's on the server and a rpc call happens to make it happen right that's awesome but mm. then when you've got a big code base like how do you manage that like how do you mm. like how do you make it efficient right because frequently people will just go oh well let's try running it on the server instead and you'll flick a switch and so now it's on the server but you're not really thinking like oh now now what's the chain of, of calls that's actually happening that in the whole that uh, thing i'm trying to achieve right it's so hard to keep an keep you keep that in your head whereas if you've got some defined interface between the two and you go right that's a server responsibility that's a client responsibility and then you can go okay i can and i've got assumptions i can make about what things are i'm going to know on server side and what things i'm going to know client side yeah as soon as you mud, muddy the water it's fine for small code bases you do what you like but as soon as the code base gets big I, and now, then you've see, got junior I, devs looking at it too, you know, it's like... <laughs> now, see, I'm, I'm not opposed to smashing together concerns, right? Like part of React's success was it smashed two concerns together and got rid of those lines, right? Used to always have your HTML and your structure and your yeah. presentation logic and your CSS all completely separated and it was really bad form if you put the other things in together, right? 
Yeah. And when that first came out, you know, I had the same reaction Armin has now with looking at this sort of stuff. You go, that's horrific. That goes against everything we've ever learned, but it worked somehow. You know, I actually don't know how this works. That's my main complaint is I don't know what it generates. So I'd need to look into it a bit more, but yeah, it might not be the right thing. Yeah. It might be a good thing. It might be right for certain circumstances, but not all the things. It's but just, I, uh, my hunch is, is, yeah, it's like saying, do you need an actual defined API layer for every circumstance? No. Do you need it once your teams get above a certain size? Pretty much, yeah, because you start separating out teams and structures and people and those sort of things. Um, I think React, React fixed that shotgun surgery thing, right? Because that you go, I want to make a change. I'm going to have to make a change in the HTML and the you know and the model and the like all these changes together. And you go, well, surely that's one change. Can't I put that all that in one location? And I guess what you're saying is like well, maybe the the changes and the server needs to change too. And it's I, all. I, I think this is far more insidious than that. I think that this is probably a, a purposeful decision by uh, Vassell to make Next more complicated, so that you can only run this shit on Next's infrastructure. I, I don't. I, I don't. I don't see the malicious intent in that. I, I actually see that they're just trying to catch up with different trends, right? Like you know, yeah. like. Patrick always espouses, you know, just trying to do the most minimal thing, you know, just plain HTML and CSS and just doing that sort of stuff. And people have seen, oh, actually, that's got some good benefits. I see them sort of trying to chase that way. But likewise, if I could channel my inner Nigel Thorne going, what is it trying to become, right? Um, no, is it actually moved to something else that's different? Every, single, every page is going to run its own Lambda, and you don't know where the Lambda is going to run. And it's already well, like that on Vercel. Every route has its own lambda. It's, they've already got that. Um, and that was the, that was the way it was from day one. Yeah, th there's one one big thing that I want to um, use this latest version, and I have to sort of deploy it to see. They've added so that little um, async function that's there gets deployed as a little endpoint. And so I'm curious to know how they've implemented. Just, but the the problem is that you. The user might load version A of the site, and then someone pushes the boys, and then version two is now live, version B. So I, the view of A, the HTML of A, might be trying to talk to the um, server of B. And so Vercel have added this feature to combat that called skew protection, where basically it has a little um, version identifier that it sends down. And so it'll actually spin up version A of the server if A HTML is trying to talk to it. So they've had to add this feature to like combat this big problem, which is something you had to consciously be aware of previously. Like you just had to you either just let it break, break, or you had to sort of factor that in. Um, you have to deal with a migration. What are you going to do with the data under the hood? What if your data schema changes yeah. between version one and two? How are you going to support all the versions out there? So yeah, so other other hosts don't have this feature, and they're encouraging they're encouraging other people to adopt it. But I don't think it's going to go well. So shouldn't um, be adopted why would i want to support what if i change what if i get rid of the bookmarks table it's exactly exist anymore what are you going to do oh yeah. God. so then you need um new new generation databases that have different schemas and different versions of schemas and then you end up with a data disaster. nightmare disaster what was when, you've, when, you've large, when you've got a large system you inevitably end up um in having like, you know, I think when you do my data migrations in three steps, you know, where you sort of add the new column, then you populate the new column, then you, you move everyone over to using the new column, and then you get rid of the old column, that sort of thing. But hmm. That sort of thinking of your system as a living system that you need to push in the direction you want it to change, I think is something that um, 
that isn't supported well enough at the moment. I think there should be more mechanisms around that so that you can go, this is my running system. This is where I want it to be. And somehow that process just flows through. And then you can, you know, all the different servers that are on different versions automatically update and match and you know, it gets to where you need it to be in a more controlled way. Like the tooling isn't that for that stuff to exist. Yeah, like that's that's a pattern that you maybe want to try and make easier, right? Maybe that's the that deserves some sort of design, some thinking around how to make that better. That that's a big criticism I have of React or one of the many is that the, <clears throat> it's sold off in the view. Like if you look at MVC, start off in the view. It's just your view layer, and it makes it so much nicer because data comes down, and then you don't have to update the view. It's like just done for you. The DOM, all the DOM updates are done for you. That's that's like brilliant. Then it sort of became bigger in scope, and now it does like your manager's data, like the controls, like states, and talks to the 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 current URL, and does does all the stuff, and became sort of like view and controller. And then now what this is trying to do is sort of becoming view controller and model. And so the component model is really great, but they're trying to use the same component paradigm to solve these three problems. I think that's, I think that's a, just don't think that's going to work because you, I don't, I'm not religiously attached to MVC, but I think like that thinking is still, still helpful. So if you were using components, you might still want to think of like, this one's more a model component. This one's more a view component. This one's trying to be a controller. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. That, that's sort of how they've screwed up the router now, right? The app router issues uh, sort of related. Like, why did Next have to? So overall, that? you know, I, I really don't see read was a big problem. And I feel like, uh, you know, I mean, there's two ways of looking at it. Like, you know, there's something new that comes out. And then there's the, the pessimistic way of looking at it that it's going to screw up everything. It's going to be terrible. But I, I don't know, for me, I'm a little bit optimistic about it. And I think, okay, they come with something new. If it's good, we use it. If it's not, then it's going to drop. But I feel like it's a, it's a path to, I mean, it's a direction. It's not bad, you know. Like, I think it's, just, imagine. It's, it's purposefully bad. We're, we're add, we're instead mm -hmm. of writing complexity and making things simpler, we're making software more complicated. I don't think anyone yeah. purposely well, makes bad though. Let's look at the direction yeah, that it's going. I remember from the, uh, from the tweet, there was like two versions of it, right? One is like uh, manipulating the uh, database, and then there was a joke one that says, like, oh, now you can uh, manipulate the kernel and then just use JavaScript to shut down the computer. And I know that was kind of funny, but like, let's think about the direction where it's going. Like, just imagine that, uh, you know, at some point there's going to be no more lines between the client and the server. And then just like, because the, the server is. Oh, technology has spoken. Yeah. Yeah. I just did shut down Vincent uh, from JavaScript. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ben. I think we have to go to commercial break. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, for me, for me, adopting a new technology comes down to what's it give me, right? And I can't quite see what this would give me that I don't already have. It's not an order of magnitude better in solving a particular problem. I can't quite see the problem it's trying to solve other than saying, I'm going to use React to render my pre-rendered HTML stuff on the server. Okay. Uh, is that a big problem for me? Probably not. So I'll just... Yeah, okay. probably not adopt this, right? But just, the biggest concern for me would be. I'm just wondering, like, how much you guys missed because I, I oh, think I cut off like, right in a bit. We'll we come just, back in a second. We only heard the good bit. Huh? Yeah, yeah, we shut down your kernel. Oh. We did a remote <laughs> shutdown, async shutdown, Vincent. 
Oh yeah, he was saying something like, "Oh, Vincent is going on the rant. Let's just." <laughs> we've, we've added a button now. I I just thought it was funny that you know you're talking about the difference between client and server, and I mean, who knows what failed? But you know, something failed in your side. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, can I talk about oh, something exciting? Yeah. Did you guys see grayj.app? I, I did. Did you send it to me? Yeah. When I said, okay, so about a week ago, um, I don't know if you, you guys follow FUTO, the organization. It's like a um, not-for-profit uh, focused on uh, privacy, right? So they're very, very focused on privacy and uh, freedom and in particular free software, right? So run by uh, an ex-software engineer who's just obsessed with, hey, look, do whatever he, he can to make software free. And anyway, um, parted with Lewis Rossman. You, some of you may know Lewis from his tech channel. Uh, they made this app called um, GrayJ, and the idea is to basically uh, allow you to follow the creator off-platform as well. So if you're following some creator and he gets kicked off of YouTube for saying some, you know, one of the bad words, um, and he moves to some other platform, you can still see see their content. Um, what are those bad words? I mean, no, I'm not going to say any of those bad words today. SQL and fact, server by even saying the name of the app, we may have said one of the bad words because that video he posted got killed. It had like a million, you know, it had a lot of views and then got killed straight away. And YouTube will not let you talk about anything that lets you watch YouTube not on YouTube. Yeah, that's the, that's my first thought seeing this. I mean, we don't want uh, you know, our podcast could get, get kicked off of YouTube. We may have already. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my first thought seeing this i don't see how this is going to be viable because the if you, you i often think about aggregation theory just in, and like the thing the way i boil it down in my head um is like if you own the user experience if you own the distribution to your users that's like one of the most important things like on the internet so youtube's just not going to let you watch via a different platform i just it just yes, make... the creators don't want their their work to be owned and controlled by those platforms. They want to have then host it yourself. Like, yeah, I don't. It's like imagine a Mastodon version of Twitter, right? Where you, where you, well, Mastodon mm. version of YouTube, where you um you've got you know creators that are federated that go. I've got my own YouTube channel, and here you know my my channel. My video. Channel. I think that, that's exactly the answer, Patrick. So this is a pathway to doing to doing that. Hey, if okay. you're, you need to host it yourself. Go ahead, host it yourself. But at least the people who are watching you know where that is. They can still find you, right? Is is this thing like a social network? Like, why do I trust this thing? Why not just host my own thing of whatever this thing? Is it just a bunch of links, or that? I don't quite. I, I don't know yet. I need to look into it. Yeah. I think it's more of a uh, it's a source aggregator. So it, yeah. it just, you follow the person across different sources. Yeah. Right. So it, it lets you find their other other sources. Yeah. But it's trying to be a brand in itself. Yeah. Anyway, they do stuff. Yeah. Uh, I, I really liked the just the, the ethos behind it, which is mm. let's, let's try and help these creators not be held hostage yeah. by the platforms. Yeah. I'm installing it. <laughs> it's very much a beta. I think they're just starting to shake it out. But um, that's interesting. Um, Another one that's a beta that's really interesting is this great new one I saw called littleapi.com. <laughs> have you heard of that, Patrick? I <laughs> might have heard of it. Littleapi.com, you guys should check it out. <laughs> so we're, we're just going to run a little experiment to see if anyone's interested in running podcasts like this. So engineering 
technical minded people who care about where their content is and not just putting it on somebody else's platform and having somebody else store it all and um, seeing if they're also interested in a podcast platform like that. Anyway, we'll see. Let's see if we get any, any interest. Yeah, check out the landing page, little L-I-L, probably realizing that the naming could be a bit better, L-I-L-A-P-I.com. Um, so, yeah, the, yeah, like I'm saying, the idea is that you host the content on your own GitHub repo, so you just write the show notes in Markdown. Um, you host the content on, say, like your own S3. We're using bunny.net, which is like a CDN, which is really easy to use and very cheap. Um, so that's how we get, we kind of got this workflow for runtime reverie at the moment. And it's been a little bit painful to sort of um, get this set up. And I'm a bit arrogant and I didn't want to use one of the consumer friendly um, podcast hosts. So this is like a dev a dev friendly dev friendly. Well, it's um, actually the exact same concern as what we had before, right? That you don't want uh, to put it on the platform that can then throw you off or say something or whatever disagree it's, with. Well, so you host it. For me, it's not just about censorship. It's more just like just in shitification. You know, you go with some podcast host and then you use them for two years and then they either go like big and then they, they, they don't care about the small guy anymore or they go, they shut down or they become shit. And then so you have to like migrate and then it's just kind of painful. So the, the idea is that you, all the content's actually owned by you, controlled by you. And then we're just sort of like the glue um, so we're just serving we're just serving an XML feed. So yeah. like Vincent, you've got yeah, a channel. Like, you've got a channel, right? Yeah. Don't worry about your channel on YouTube and you know you like oh, yeah. that one day. Do you worry about that? On my channel? No. I mean well the thing is like uh, I try not to be political because I'm thinking like okay, at some point if I become political and then they kick me out of the channel, then then yeah, it, it is a about a I don't know, I feel safe because I don't talk about politics at all. Uh, but there's some stuff that uh, they did on YouTube. For example, like I'd made a review on a movie or like a review on a song. So I spent a lot of time like uh, doing all the work and then cutting the video and everything and put it on YouTube and talking about how much I enjoy the song or the movie. And then the, the video gets kicked out because of copyright issues. And basically all the work I've done on it is completely gone. And like a lot of time that was really discouraging. So it's true that one of the problems with YouTube is that I have to walk on kind of like, a, a, how do you say, like walk on a thin line or not, walk on a thin thread or something like that. Yeah, the, the expression. And yeah. Mm. So I think your, your idea of the having your uh, podcast hosted on your own um, servers, I guess, is interesting. But you were mentioning like hosting it on GitHub or something like that. I don't think you can put videos on GitHub. Like, oh, that's that's, um, that's actually just for the metadata. So the idea is you put the, oh, the yeah, audio yeah. and the video on whatever storage you like, you choose wherever you want it, and you put the the metadata on GitHub. So the metadata is just like the the title and the description and things like that, and then you get version so control. You yeah. When you host the actual video or the actual MP3 of the podcast. You, you host it wherever you want. So on BunnyNet, on AWS, on Dropbox, on what, where, whatever storage you like. And so the, Maybe the I think something is... useful would be to, to provide like some guidance on doing that because yeah, I, I don't know a lot right. of podcasters like they don't know where to put the stuff right. Like for yeah, for videos, that, I only know to put to, but that's about it, really. Yeah, I think that's why this is like leaning towards tech people at the start, right? 
Mm -hmm. if, you, if you've got mm -hmm. some understanding of what you're doing, you know how to host files on the network, or on the internet, then you know this might be a good start for you. Yeah, my my well, hope okay. is we we want to make we would like to find some business opportunities, and I do wonder if this is actually a business opportunity because my dream is probably that these ideas get stolen. So it, I I think S three and stuff like it is a commodity, and so it should be if they made that user friendly, like anyone could use it. They just need to make it user friendly. It just isn't at the moment. Um, and yeah. same with GitHub. Like GitHub could be a bit more user friendly um, for for everyday people. So that's the like I would actually love if because I'm hosting my site in the same way, like my blog or the Markdown files and the GitHub repo. I actually load them on the fly, render them to HTML, and then spit spit it out just using a little Cloudflare worker. So because it's like crazy setup, but I want that to be not crazy. Like that should just yeah. be built into Cloudflare or built into GitHub. I actually sort of. Ideally, GitHub would acquire acquire it and give us some money, but uh, you know, secondarily, if they just stole the idea, I'd be happy with that too. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a good example of censorship, right? There's um, the lady called Naomi Wu, who's uh, she, her name's Sexy Cyborg on on the internet, and she <laughs> she was the um, that was my, that was going to be my name. She was the brand <laughs> ambassador. She was a brand ambassador for. Um, Creality, who did 3D printers, um, and yeah, and, and she's she's got a YouTube channel that was very popular, and it just it's it. If you search for any videos to do with that stuff, has never come up in your search results. You still got the YouTube channel, the channel, the videos are still there, but they just won't turn up in your search results. It's just insane. What what do you do at that point, right? You, you're posting all these videos, you think it's good content, people like it, but they never see it. Yeah. Do you know exactly like the reason why she got censored is because her stuff was too sexy or what? <laughs> she had large cleavage, didn't she? <laughs> she does have large cleavage. Yeah. yeah. I think, I don't know. It's, it's good reviews of, of hardware and stuff, but she does intersperse it with videos of her walking around the shops in hardly this, any clothes. This ties into another concept. I think that's, that's <laughs> often, I don't know. I haven't heard much discussion about it, but uh, I, I think that we've got it we've hit an interesting inflection point in entertainment where entertainment online by create independent creators, often just a in single individual, for me at least, is more compelling than the biggest blockbuster out of Hollywood. Literally, like a single individual, it feels like they've, you know, because there's so many of them making so many different things. The particular niche I'm interested in, that video they release every week is the most compelling, most amazing form of entertainment for me. It's like tailor built for me. And I think we've hit that point where a lot of people feel like that. And that, uh, you know, they now have a lot of voice. They now have a lot of lot of uh, influence on, on where people spend their free time and, and get there. That's what I'm that's what I'm hoping with runtime reverie. You know, there's just like 10 people in the world are just like, yes, there's another runtime reverie episode. Yeah. Like I've been waiting all week for this. I'd be happy with 10, 10 listeners. That'd be great. <laughs> You'd be happy with two, Patrick. Uh, you know, you know what? We, we joke about it, but you know what? There's probably at least one person in the world who listens to this and gets some value out of it. Yeah, no, no, that would be cool. We've got double-digit subscribers, by the way. There's a five of us, at least. <laughs> like, I, I really can't wait, you know, until the next week when we do our next podcast. It's just, it's yeah, always fun. I, I enjoy this conversation, yeah. and I think, and I think others do. And because, because we've now got enough technology to uh, sort of democratize the creation of this content and you've got so many people creating so much diverse content 
there's now an opportunity for you to consume as a consumer the exact thing that you're looking for that's just perfect for you because there's so much out there and uh that's a really powerful point like it's giving all those all that power back to the individuals like the the random kid in some random you know location you know outside hollywood is now making better content than hollywood is like that that's powerful yeah cool should yeah. we wrap it up did, did anyone wrap. have any picks any yeah picks? yeah favorite favorite channel favorite creator oh. can Ooh. you name one well you said louis rossman right and i love louis right um especially just the apple repair stuff because that's bugged me since day one of apple hardware <laughs> I, I miss my old pcs where you could rip a board out and stick a new one in and um yeah he's gone deep in there you know right to repair sort of movement and everything but uh, he's still a smart bloke repairing stuff and i just love watching it i can't do that my eyes aren't good enough my knowledge is not good enough but i still love those videos but the content's awesome yeah yeah any other yeah. favorite creators um there's a youtube, yeah, there's a YouTube channel called um productivity game that um he does a really good job of summarizing books so he'll read a book up like think fast and talk smarter or something and he'll he'll read the book and then he'll just quickly summarize it with like you know those things where you draw on a whiteboard and you like draw diagrams and like yeah, as yeah. looking it's that sort of feel to it like it, he breaks it down in a visual way which i really really appreciate um yeah so I, those those are good um, I, there's so many so many creators i follow on youtube it's ridiculous I watch work a lot. Work, watch a lot of woodworking videos of people just making stuff in woodworking. Oh. Funny actually, there's a there's a guy who's got two channels. One is his channel, and the other is him reflecting on his channel, basically, and like watching his YouTube stats and stuff, um, or and anything that's a bit too techy or not quite on theme. Um, and it's interesting. He was doing an analysis of his of his. Um, he was doing these videos, and he's like expecting you to follow along like you know make the woodwork with him like by the plans do the thing and he found that most people don't so and so so he was his his idea of like i want to cut this down and only show you where things worked so that you follow the right steps he's now kind of thrown that out the window and going look i'll show you when i go wrong as well because like in a tutorial that would be terrible because you start copying the guy and then realize you've just screwed up in the same way he screwed up Right, but if it's entertainment, that doesn't matter because that's hilarious when someone screws up. You know, that's right. And right? maybe you don't want the just the solution; you want to see the long form, boring, you know, the the whole process because it's, yeah. And it's you can learn from his mistakes, right? Uh, if you're not actually building along, so there's. I, I liked the idea that he realized that people would appreciate that that stuff and included it in the channel. Um, yeah. yeah, so, so <laughs> it's good. I like it. Anyway, yeah. The, uh, I'll find out what his name is. I'll put it in the show notes. That's awesome. I like one like that. Very, very similar style. It's called Farmcraft 101. And uh, he he basically fixes stuff on his farm. This guy mm. randomly fixing stuff on his farm and just amazing entertainment. And I, I think it's fantastic seeing him fix things. And he'll often make mistakes, but he'll talk about it and you know show you his mistakes as he's fixing things. Having grown up on a farm, everything gets fixed with a hammer. <laughs> but you know the production quality and just the and it's not just the production it sometimes it's a bit rough but the, it's just done incredibly well it's interesting it's just genuinely interesting seeing people who are good at something create that thing you would also like the primitive technology channel yeah yeah great uh, it's so good you know just start with some wood make a smelter <laughs> <laughs> and just evolve it from 
dirt and water is so cool. Awesome. Anything else before we wrap? No, I don't think so. No, I was just I've spent the last five minutes trying to look through my uh, YouTube likes, and I can't really see. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but the fi fire ship guy is pretty good. He's yeah, I he's, love uh, love fire ship. Very... Yeah. What's fire ship? Haven't heard of that. Yes, you have. It's the the, the like um, I don't know, react in a hundred seconds or something like those. The, he does a whole bunch of those videos, and they're so funny, and yet. Um, but yeah, insightful, thing, right? Useful. He's done the, the. It's like he's done his research. Like he's played around with the thing, and he he's obviously written a few like background on you know what people's opinions are, and he just sums it up really well. So, wow. That, yeah. No, yeah. I've never seen this guy. Oh, yeah, he's awesome. Oh, really yeah. good. Love it. Yeah, he's got a few parody videos in there too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Taking the piss out of just the IT industry. It's good. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Let's let's wrap it up. Um, we'll uh, see you next week. Good chatting, everyone. Thanks, guys. This is great. Okay.